You're listening to a production of Swanson Media. This episode of Sullen Radio is brought to you in part by Inkies. Get the tattoo care products you need to numb, heal, and protect your tattoos at inkies.com. This episode of Sullivan Radio is also brought to you in part by Bishop Rotary. Since 2009, Bishop Rotary has been producing some of the most innovative and revolutionary rotary tattoo machines on the market. Check them out at bishoprotary.com. This is Sullen Radio with Joe Swanson, the premier art-driven podcast. Hey everybody, this is Joe Swanson. Welcome to Sullen Radio. My guest today, I'm super honored to have on. He is well-known in the industry, been a long time master of black and gray and, and in that Southern California culture, owner of Bishop Rotary, a guy that I have looked up to um, with respect to black and gray and tattooing. Uh, for a long time, has a great DVD out, and I think is one of the guys that's an innovator in tattooing and is taking, with a 22 or 20 plus year career, is taking um, tattooing essentially by the balls and moving forward, not letting shit get in his way, and I'm very proud to announce that my guest tonight is uh, Franco Viscovi. How you doing, man? How you doing? Thanks for the nice introduction. Um, how much do I owe you? <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely nothing What's your PayPal address? <laughs> I'm just kidding, no, thank you, that was nice of you <laughs> Yeah man, no, no sweat it going? It's going really good and, and all those things are true You know, I've, I've been familiar with your work for a long time One of the things that, uh, that I really got turned on to your work was through your DVD And, you know, that has been something oh, that cool. Yeah, it's been something that was really cool to me as a person, as an artist. Uh, I've been tattooing 18 years, and I put out my own DVD, my own DVD on how to paint tattoo flash the traditional way. And you know, I got some flack from That's it cool. from from certain guys. And how did you approach that idea of putting out this information and and in an industry that has been so long standing in its secrecy? That's a pretty good question. Um because I actually did it like for a certain purpose, and um, I, I put out that DVD probably about it's been about six years now. Um, but when I put it out, I was kind of wondering about what people would say, um, and I knew I'd catch some slack from some people. But then, uh, you know, obviously it was just made for professionals only, and I and I stressed that throughout the whole DVD. So that was the first thing. Just I wanted to be able to abide by those rules too but then there's some rules that are kind of like a gray area but for the for the most part i just couldn't i couldn't stand seeing bad portraits being done especially coming out of tattoo shops and part of the reason why is there's just there's a lot of work i don't know how to do i don't know how to do japanese work i don't i don't even know how to do traditional work so there's just certain things that i won't even do just because i don't know how to do them so i just kept seeing so many tattoo artists attempt to do portraits and just, you know, miss it. And not not to make fun of them, but I'm just saying that if someone shouldn't be doing them, they shouldn't be doing them, period. Um, right. And I think... Nobody would expect going to it. Oh. Oh. I, I lost you for a second. I'm here. Are you there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
I was just going to say as, as an artist, you know, when I watched that DVD and, and hopefully this, it has had the same effect on some other people. Um, I wasn't in the place in my career, even though it was, you know, just a handful of six, seven years ago. Um, I had done portraits and I, I was from that street shop mentality of, Hey, whatever walks through the door, you do it and you learn how to do it. And I'm still comfortable, you know, I'm still okay doing a portrait, but I think that there's what your DVD showed me was somebody doing a portrait that was absolutely entrenched in that niche of tattooing. And I took some of those things that you said and I tried, you know, I tempted my best to apply them. And I was just like, God damn it, Franco, what you made it look so easy, (laughs) you know? And so what it did for me was push me to either to look at portraits as something that I need to absolutely put forth extra effort to do or let the other guys in the shop do them, you know, let the guy who is interested in that do them. And, you know, fortunately I work with a guy right now, Paul Marquez, who um, is great at portraits and I've learned a lot from him just sitting and watching and being able to, you know, absorb that um, intimate, you know, one-on-one thing and so for me it was a great it was a great dvd that you put out man and i and i appreciate that information and and it and it moved me even forward in my art so thank you thank no thank you and then that that was really the purpose of doing it i mean when i put it out too i mean it just kind of fell in my lap i I met a guy that was making dvds for airbrush artists and at first i didn't want to do it and he just kept asking and asking so i ended up just doing it but part of my Part of my reasoning was I figured, you know what, at the very least, because when I started tattooing, no one wanted to show me anything mm-hmm. um, just because it was so long ago. It was 22 years ago, so no no one wanted to show, show me anything. And so I've always enjoyed teaching people things if, if it's the right reason. So I really made that DVD just because I was hoping that um, somehow I can share this with would help some of these tattoos turn out better. Mm-hmm. And that's the real reason why I made it. Um, but when I did make the DVD, I just wanted it to be really thorough. That's why when you when you when you watch it, it's super detailed all the way down to the minute detail. Because I figured that with so many DVDs out, a lot of times they they just kind of tattoo and talk, but they don't really get down into like the psychology of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love. So I was hoping I was. Yeah, I was going to say, I love the part about the DVD, and, and it speaks to that really detailed examination of the tattoo process where you talk about white and using it as if you were using it for just as any other color. And that was the first time I'd ever really heard that or really thought about using white like that. And at that time, I'd used white in highlights. And just like you say in the DVD, everybody, you know, you put a real hard white dot in the eye or you do something on the skull that's gonna Mm -hmm. represent a highlight well you need to brush that out just like any other color white's not stark like that necessarily and so that that was a cool point you know that that i think gets you know kind of falls those fine details sometimes fall along the wayside and and that can separate somebody's work from you know mediocre to excellent i think I've always found that I'm just learning Chip Noah. I used to take so much classes with him, and um, and so even with tattooing, I've always found that it, 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 your mind can be on some certain uh, 
freestyle tattooing and you just don't know any better, but then someone shows you this one trick that you almost can't believe you never knew before. So one of the things that Nikos uh, taught me in airbrushing is he see, he saw so many nice, beautiful black and gray airbrushed canvases get ruined with white. And then I started to think, and I was telling him back then, I've seen a lot of nice tattoos, black and gray tattoos, get ruined with just the wrong use of white. So that whole philosophy I was able to learn from Noah from airbrushing and then apply it to tattooing, and it was uh, super important. Yeah, it, it really speaks you to know? it really speaks to developing your art as a whole, not just in the form of tattooing, yeah. but developing those things, you know, like color palette or in the instance of black and gray, that contrast, that real dark to real light and those gradients in between and taking the time to develop those fine details. I I spoke with um I spoke with Rich Pineda on my my other podcast, the Propaganda Podcast, and you can hear um, that that talk on my website, therealjoeswanson.com. And Rich would, I mean, Rich spoke so highly of you, Franco. I'm going to say that that guy is, and I'll speak very highly of Rich. I mean, oh, he's a nice guy. Absolutely great guy. Nice guy. And you know, one thing he said that he appreciated from you was you gave him true feedback on a tattoo and he spoke about one that you talked about a not you know the nostril just blacked out and you yeah you know, he said yeah. Hey, you know, yeah he said hey you know you can you can add this detail look at this here and it changed the way he thought about things and i i think that that is you know those fine details is something like i said is it pushes somebody's work to that next level has that always been yeah no it, has it always been that way for you have you from the very beginning did you did you dissect those things like that? You know, you know what? I, I think that's what it was because I've, I've always looked at like the smallest things, like even the most detailed things, even creases and hair and all that sort of stuff. Even when I was drawing as a kid, but um, it, it was one of those things where I was, I always look at it like to do a portrait, whether in black, gray, or color. It's just reaching into your filing cabinet in your head and pulling out enough tricks and um formulas to get it right you know mm-hmm. so so but but a lot of those a lot of those tricks and formulas are all in the detail they're all just a number of detailed things so like white like i i was telling people i tell people that if you're going to use white you have to learn how to do it right or don't even use it at all but yeah it is in all it is all in the detail and uh the most minute detail could mess up a portrait i've seen I've seen, and there's plenty of portraits out there that are almost perfect. And I and I, I think sometimes, like, dang, if they only knew this one thing, it would change the entire look of it. And that's that's why it's so important, because especially when you're doing portraits, there's, there's really not a lot of room for error. I mean, you can you could do everything perfect except for the teeth, and now it just throws the entire piece off. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, for me, I I, I tell everyone that every portrait should be done with the utmost amount of fear. Every portrait I do, I'm, I'm fearful from the second I start to the second I'm finished. And that fear is what keeps me uh, hyper-focused on those, those little detailed things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk a little bit. Let's jump back to the early, early days when you know you started with a machine that was built by your own hands, jail style, that real Southern California, Chicano style stuff that was being done. Um, and you said, 
you know, you, you list Freddie Negretti as one of your biggest influences early on. He lived in the neighborhood. And how long had he been tattooing at that point? And, and how much work had he put out in that neighborhood that you saw? And... Um, Freddie, it's funny because I just, I just told him recently, um, the first piece I ever saw, like one of the most, one of the best black and gray pieces I remember seeing was a mermaid. Mm-hmm. And um, it was done on this guy named Chato Fly. And it was just so nice. That was right before I started tattooing. That was about a little over 22 years ago. And um, I saw that piece and I couldn't believe how good it was. I was like, I can't believe that's a tattoo. And so um, I, Freddie was a legend in the neighborhood um, where my cousins grew up. So I had two cousins that grew up with Freddie in the same neighborhood. And I was just this kid that would tag along with my older cousins and they would, they would tag along and I would bring my little folder full of art. And so my cousin who, both, both of my cousins knew Freddie. And so they would always tell me, hey, you should tattoo. There's this guy named Freddie who is a rock star. And even back then he was a rock star. He used to show up to the neighborhood with uh, his tattoo machine. He'd rent a hotel room and he'd stay busy the entire weekend, just partying, girls, you name it. I mean, it was like, it was like he was a, a band member that rolled into town. And that was way back then. But uh, the tattooing is what I was impressed with. Ever since I saw his tattoos, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to learn how to tattoo. And so, of course, back then, I don't even know if there was really the Internet was really cracking. It was just more like uh, you just heard about the recipe to make a tattoo machine. And so I, I had gotten the recipe from a friend of mine's cousin who was in prison. He just got out. and He had the recipe. I, remember, I still remember looking for the recipe. I remember asking around, trying to find it. Uh, finally, this guy I met was like, yeah, I know how to make one. I was tattooing in prison. So he gave me the recipe. I took that recipe to the hobby store. I got the Walkman, and I remember cracking the Walkman over. He told me, don't don't, don't throw it too many times against the concrete because you might break the motor. <laughs> so I, I cracked it very careful like an egg, you know, just little little by little till, till I found the, the motor, and then you had to unscrew it. And then with that motor, you took that motor to the hobby store. And, and from there, it was just like, how, how could I make the best homemade tattoo machine? But that was my first introdu- introduction to tattooing and making machines. Wow. Um, and so me and, my, me and my older brother, Julio, we, we went to the hobby store. And uh, we made a pretty nice homemade machine. I think we got like uh, brass piping. We cut it. We had – it was really nice. It was a uh, – I think we even used parts from an erector set. Remember the erector sets back when we were kids? I do. <laughs> but but it was a real nice one. And then he told me what kind of guitar string to get. And for the first two, three years, I had my, my index finger was, was uh, my index finger was pretty lumpy. It was pretty lumpy uh, just, just from making needles. Yeah. But that was my first introduction to the whole, to the whole thing. Was, was Freddie you at know, that I, point... I, was he in? Uh, was he working with Jack at that point, or was he still kind of on his own? This was pre-tattoo. I, I don't think he was. I don't. I think that was that was post-tattoo land because okay. that was twenty-two years ago. So I think that he was. I, I think he was at a shop, or maybe it was before. He had a shop called Rata yeah. Tattoo in uh, Santa Barbara. Rata Tattoo. Uh, that was uh, he moved up to Santa Barbara, 
but he would still come into town. He was just like a like a legend that would just kind of appear out of nowhere. No, you know, no one really knew where he was at. Yeah. He would just show up. So on one hand, I had this this master black and gray tattoo artist to admire, and then I had this homemade tattoo machine. So it was just like trying to connect the dots in between. What was it other than getting a professional setup? Was there anything that kind of, I'm sure you made leaps even with the homemade machine, but do you remember some of those leaps that you made and, and some of those things that all of a sudden fell into place with tattooing that kind of, yeah. Tell, tell, talk to me about that. Tell me about those times. Yeah. So, so I tell people, you know, when I tell people about how I started tattooing, I always make sure that people know that it's not really what I would recommend. It's just part of my, how I started tattooing. Um, that was back when I don't even think I was using gloves for the first year. It was just, I was kind of like balancing my finger like I was playing pool. <laughs> yeah. Try not to get it, try not to get a lot of blood on my hands. But I remember everything I did was a single needle. Everything I did was, um, pure black ink. So, um, I always got used to doing that minute detail. I think that's what really helped my my tattooing over the years was, you know, I whether it was a name across someone's back, a portrait the size of a, you know, a softball, everything was done with a single needle. It just take forever. I mean, there was I remember doing pieces that would take four or five sessions that that, that nowadays, you know, someone can get done in 2 hours. Um right. but I remember the first time I would I would call tattoo shops and I would try to get information, you know, without them cussing me out, you know. So I remember I remember calling, I think it was Laguna Beach Tattoo, and I said, and I and I I still remember what I said. I said, hey, I was getting a tattoo and I I noticed you guys were doing these grays so perfect. I'm trying to I think I said something like I'm trying to explain to somebody how you guys got these because I couldn't figure out how these grays were being done. My my stuff was looking like uh like dot to dot, you know, just stippled. And he goes, Oh, that was easy, just by dipping in the water. And that was like the one moment, you know, to answer your question, that was the one thing that I I couldn't believe. I felt like someone gave me a magic trick because at, at that point on, I started using the water with my tattoos, and I was able to get these gradients. And I just couldn't believe how how how, ni- how much nicer these tattoos were looking after that. Yeah, boom! Right, that's the little things like that just just like you were speaking about earlier with the white can elevate the tattoo to the next level and it and it's interesting telling the story because there's a part of me that feels like i've been tattooing for a long time but i happen to have creeper in the car so i'm kind of feeling like uh it's not really all that cool (laughs) well (laughs) you know what i mean as i'm telling the story i keep thinking like that creepers you know he's got years on me but you know what I mean? But it just time goes by so fast. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Well let's um l- let's find out. I mean, I would love to ask Creeper that same question, you know, somebody with this much history and, and came up with guys like Rudy and, and Hardy. Um what were what were those moments for you, uh, Creeper, that pushed your and elevated your tattooing to that next level early, early on? <laughs> Oh, you you, you want to you want to ask that question? I thought you were asking me that question towards the end. Well, I'd um, like to I'd like to find out ask? from yeah I'd love to you know find out from Creeper too what his kind of that same question you know what what were those some of those points where you know he saw he picked up something and it elevated his game to the next level 
you know, early on? I started tattooing when I was 13. How long ago was that? That was a long time ago. <laughs> and then I went professional with Good Time Charlie in 75, 76. And that was a single needle black and gray. So that's basically what I've done. And you learn, learn from your mistakes and stuff, just how to improvise stuff to make it easier. Mm -hmm. So... We definitely, yeah, that, as that, a, that, you know, as a as a community, as artists, we definitely do that, right? We we're, we learn from our mistakes and we're, um, that, we're able to move that forward. Is, that is a good point. Now, that is a good point. That, that actually re reminds me of the question you asked me a, a few minutes ago about those aha moments when you learn. A, a lot of them were done from trial and error, I still remember the first portrait I did, I outlined I, I outlined every single tooth. <laughs> and as soon as I got done, <laughs> as soon as I got done, I instantly learned that you can't outline every single tooth in black. Oof. That was like, I, I, I taught myself that instantly because when I was done, I, I just remember going, oh, fuck, man, he's not going to like this. You know, and, and uh, it looked like she had braces on. <laughs> Holy shit! I, I read yeah. about I read about so, that um, in, in an interview. Yeah, that was a true story. It, it, yeah, I still remember the guy's name. His name was Ben, and and luckily, luckily they they broke up, so he ended up getting it covered up. But um, um, I was rooting for that the second <laughs> it was finished. Yeah, I, I but, imagine. Um, but yeah, the, but a lot of the a lot of the earlier stuff though. That that's why even nowadays there's so many beautiful tattoo artists nowadays. But the one thing is is they will never have the hardship stories. They will never have the hardship stories of learning because right now, there's some there's some badass artists right now. But it's it's so much easier for them to become badass. I, I mm -hmm. see artists that are so good the second year that I wasn't even that good ten years in the tattooing because yeah. they have access to the best of the best, you know. So there is something kind of cool about starting off that way with with no help. Sure, I mean it absolutely. It's a different time, you know. T a lot of people get down about, oh, the way it was and the way it should be, and this is what should happen, and you know those kind of things and that that negative sentiment. And I think, you know what? Me personally, I think it's an exciting time that we're in in tattooing. There's a lot of opportunity. There is a lot of, you know, craziness that goes on, but ultimately, we have so many resources at our disposal. We have so much connectivity. And, you know, it's a, it's a theme that I talk about on the podcast, you know, quite a bit is that connectivity. And we can reach out to somebody in Russia or Southern California and, and have those aha moments just, you know, yeah. that we wouldn't have had having to reach out to somebody with snail mail and hope that this letter gets here. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, I remember, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. calling Sabato from the, a California phone <laughs> from from a landline in California, man, this had to have been a month uh, or t a month or two into tattooing. I called me and a buddy. We're so stoked on this article that was, uh, you know, on Sabado. And I remember calling him in Japan. And I don't know if it was Sabado I talked to, but you know, I I complimented <laughs> as much as I could, and and I didn't hear anything any nonsense from my uh, from my boss about a crazy ass international call either. So I guess I came out of it all right. <laughs> But yeah, it was pretty cool, actually. 
diff- cool. different times, you know, and, and, you know, what's, what's cool about, what do you miss about that time, frankly? What do you, what do you think that is um, missing today that, that these new tattooers, obviously they're not going to get those hardships and, and that is a positive and a negative, but what do you miss about that, that golden age? I, I Let's call the, it a golden age. Yeah. Okay. I miss the nostalgia of it. I miss this natural aroma of respect that for some reason, like you didn't really have to like talk about it. It was just like known. There was just a, there was just things that, that people would just know. It was weird. It was almost like a spirit. And I miss that. I miss the respect. I miss, um, I miss how, I miss how, uh, youngsters would, would, would treat the old, 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 older tattoo artists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there just seems to be a lack of respect nowadays. I miss the respect part of it. I miss the rules. I miss the uh, a lot of the things that I still abide by and, and, and make sure that I abide by. I miss that part of it mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but but at the same time, it's just the nature of the times we're in. You know, it's it's uh if I had to, if I had to pretend I was a psychologist, I couldn't even get mad at some of these tattoo artists that, that don't think that way because no one caught them. And maybe that's probably probably the the, the last answer to that question is uh, I miss being taught correctly, or I miss being, you know, people don't really teach people correctly anymore, so, right. so they don't even know. Yeah, what's interesting well, to I, me I, I, is those those rules, those things that were nostalgic, and those things that are ethics and and the morals within tattooing that we had back then, <clears throat> and for sure, you know. You've been ta- you got a handful of years on me, and and Creeper's got a handful of years on you. Um, yeah. Those are still available to people, and I think I've talked about it before. Also, that some of these things, making needles, building machine, you know, building and or assembling machines, because there's a difference, and some of those yeah. things that people choose or choose not to get into. It's it's all it's all out there. The information is out there about those things that you miss and i feel that it's incumbent upon the artist to be you know dive into it as much as they want and you're going to have some people that dive into it really hard and understand those ethics and and responsibilities just like i mean the guy again the guy that comes to mind is rich Pineda. dude's only been tattooing five six what six years now or something like that and he gets it yeah he understands because he's been around that one of the first things I told Rich, this was when he was tattooing for maybe not even a year. You know, he, you know, he, I appreciate his humility because he used to always ask a bunch of questions. And I would always tell him, I'm just going to tell you the truth. And so one of the first things I told him is, I don't care how good you are. And there, there will be people that care how good you are, but I don't care how good you are. I would rather you know, like, the respect and the morals of the industry and, and, how, and, and how, to, uh, how to act versus becoming a good artist because a lot of a lot of guys nowadays they just have a they just want to be famous that's really all they want to do they, they, they want to learn how to tattoo and just be famous right away and it just doesn't work like that so i have a, a, a good a good story is i have a guy named zero that's working for me and he's been tattooing under our our wing for about eight months professionally and He's interesting because he's craves to learn the old school rules. Hmm. Um, most I've only taught two people how to tattoo, and I've I've made them all make needles and all that stuff so they can um, respect themselves. 
and, and say that they've made needles before, even though they can go buy them. I, I've always wanted them to know how it was, but there's people out there like Zero and like Rich that, like you said, the information is out there, but there's only a handful of people that really want to really want to learn that stuff, whereas the other people, they just want to pretend like they know it. I've I've heard people tell stories that aren't true about how they were taught and what they did, and you know, I just think that wasn't true. They didn't learn like that. And so everyone wants to pretend like they learned the right way. But the truth is, if you've been tattooing for, you know, less than seven or eight years, there's a good chance they didn't get taught the right way. And there's a good chance they didn't seek it out, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Because, because because it's harder. And people don't want, people want what's easier nowadays. Well, sure, it takes time. It takes time to, at this point, commit yourself to those nostalgic things like making needles and you know some of those other things that come along with the with the artwork that with with this industry that people did a long time ago now i think if the reason that some of that it seems that some of that magic or some of that respect is gone is because the industry has become very flooded with a lot of people and that's obviously that's going to happen when you can Shit, man, you can jump on any website, <laughs> you know, that any tattoo supply website these days most of the time and get yourself a handful of machines and equipment and, and you can go for it. Just like guys like yourself yeah, did back yeah. in the day, but it would it took you a lot more because you had to find that you had to find those secrets. You had to seek that out. Well the secrets are told now. And so it's incumbent upon somebody that wants to get into this, I think, to seek out those you know, the, the guys that are in this business for a long time and, and maybe saw some of that history and saw some of that past and yeah. have some conversations, reach out to those guys, you know, explore what, you know, their history is. And, and you will find some of those things that I, yeah, I feel are missing. I think it's out there. And I, I, I've noticed it with, with the old timers of Tattoo and Creeper and Jack and some of these guys, I've noticed that they enjoy talking about these things because they don't get asked a lot of times about them. So I think that when when they get asked these questions, I would imagine maybe we can ask Creeper, but I would imagine they're kind of like you know, oh, this guy wants to know some history. Interesting, because a lot of people don't really care for it anymore. You know? Yeah, I think it's so, it's crazy that people don't care because in the in the time that we're in, tattooing is what in its uh, man. You know, you're 100, 120 years old. You know, we're, we are in a super young industry, an artistic industry that um, yeah. we there's guys that made those revolutionary changes. Sailor Jerry and Ed Hardy and Good Time Charlie and, and you know, on down the line to guys like, you know, yourself who have made those changes in our industry. And we can talk to those people. We can reach out and we can seek advice about how did you go through these explosions of the industry, these downtimes in the industry, and what do you see as the future and how we can, as artists, promote the best things in tattooing and move this artwork forward in an ethical and yeah. positive way, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think uh, – that, and, and, and a topic that goes along with that is machine building. You know, like um, me, me and Creeper were just talking about just how many machine builders there are right now. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 a it's a free world, and, and you know, but it's just um, there's so many people that 
build machines, and I don't really think they have any business building machines. Yeah, and it, just, it makes it tougher. It makes it tough for guys like that were doing it not for the money. Um, Creeper's been building machines for how long? Twenty-seven years. And 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 I and there's a lot of machine builders like Tim Hendricks and Grinchenberg that make really nice machines. Um, but then there's a lot of art. There's a lot of artists that just don't know about the Creepers of the world. Um, you know what I mean? And so. Uh, what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do, is bring some of that to light. You know, we're we're working on a project with Creeper where he's bringing back some of his most sought-after machines. You know, since the 80s, 90s, you know, early 2000s, mm-hmm. we're bringing them back. Uh, we'll get a hold of uh, these machines finally, but they come with a story and roots that, that not a lot of these younger machine builders have. Yeah, trial by fire. You know, it's yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. It's learning the craft of it's it's like learning a whole new craft. I mean, you have tattooing, and you can have a wonderful tattooer who you can put a great machine in their hand, and they're going to do a great tattoo. It's a whole nother part of the business. It's a whole nother part. It's a whole nother craft to build yeah. a machine. And you know, let's talk about that because rotor the the Bishop Rotary has been something that I've used, I've loved, and um, it's. Obviously, within the within the Southern community, in the Southern California community, it's it's big. Obviously, that comes from your influence. But talk about some of the distinctive things that make it what it is. You know, that natural give. The man, I'm super yeah. interested in the 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 rubber van the rubber band versus the clip um, idea. Yeah. Talk about how those things developed and um, where where you see Bishop now and where you think Akana is going to go in the future. That's a, that's a fun question for me because that's like been my life for the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I started making rotary machines 22 years ago with the Walkman. Yep. So in a way, it was written in my star and in, in my cards, I guess you can call it. Yeah. Um, I used to use a machine called, with much respect to, I used to use a machine called uh, the Swash Drive, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I used to use another machine called the Revolution Rotary. I don't know if you remember that one. I don't remember that one, but I know about Swash Drive. Okay, so so the Revolution was the first linear machine. We just pulled into town. We're actually me and me and Creeper going to the APT APT Tattoo Convention, uh, which is a whole different topic. But um, so, but back to the machines. Though, when I when I first started making rotaries professional. It was in 2008, and keep in mind, they weren't popular at all. In fact, I remember people used to kind of make fun of me, like, what the heck are you using? I was using a swash drive at the, at the Ink Slingers Ball, and I still remember Jack Rudy. He walked up to me, and he was like, what the hell is that thing? And I'm like trying to explain it to him. This is a rotary machine, and he has more of the history, so he was just giving me a hard time, but he, he knows, he knew that they were, um, that they were, um, you know, they were machines that had been around even before coils. Sure. But uh, so when I was when I was making these machines, they weren't popular, and so we definitely weren't doing them for the money. Um, it was more like at the time I had referred so many people to the swash drive company, and then there was these things that I wanted to do that I really liked about the Revolution Rotary. Now the Revolution Rotary was the first linear tattoo machine but the only thing with that one was you had to cut your needle bar and then you had to lodge it in and 
and tighten it down. And so it was a cool idea, but um, it was one of those things where it just took too long to do. It was like a setup was like, you know, it was like you had to do all those things. So um, so I, I decided to make my own machine. And back then, I think there was only a handful of companies. There was Swash Drive. There was uh, Neotat was around. Um, Neotat got their idea from the, the, the revolution. And just for history's sake, you know, the first – you know, the first linear rotary machine was was the Revolution Rotary. Um, as, as far as the needle clip and bracing your needle bar down, that belonged to the Revolution also. Hmm. Um, then came Neotat, where they, they took that concept and they made the needle clip. Um, so I really like linear machines. That was like the style I liked the most. So when we made Bishop, it was just basically a mesh of all these rotaries that were on the market, which, like I said, were maybe a four or five, no, no more than that, four or five rotary machines. Um, and I just messed it all together on what I liked and what I thought would be the best machine out. Mm-hmm. And that was the birth of Bishop. And uh, I think back then I was lucky if I sold 50 of them a year. You know, I think I sold a handful here and there to friends and, and, uh, it reminded me of the Macintosh. Remember when the Macintosh kind of started getting popular? Yeah. It was like the PC people would get so angry, like, nah, PC, PC. <laughs> so there was all these coil guys that were just like, no, it's all about coils, you know, loyal to the coil. Yeah. Uh, what What is this rotary thing? Um, so, but I knew, I knew that they worked good. I mean, I knew that in many ways they worked better than coils. I knew that they were more consistent, and I knew that the hit, you know, was was consistent. Although, you know, if you get a if you get a hold of a good coil machine, then then that's 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 going to work just as good, you know. So mm-hmm. I won't say anything bad about coils. But um, the problem is, is it's hard to get a good coil machine right now. You know, you you got to get it from a quality builder. But that was the beginning of of the rotary the rotary world for me, you know, and it just slowly I just you know, evolved it to doing different changes, better motors, better cams, better bearings. Um, and so the future, the future of Bishop is we're just really trying to stay on the cutting edge of uh, of technology. I, I have some cool stuff right now we're doing with magnetics and uh, hmm. uh, lubrication-free slides made of uh, linear bearings. Like so, the stuff we're doing right now, I'm really trying to do stuff that's never been done before. Um, I really want Bishop to be a leader in that whole thing, just doing things that have never been done before, using technologies that are in like uh, spacecraft equipment mm-hmm. and robotics equipment that that, that that people like me just never really knew about until we got a hold of mechanics engineers that were like, "Yo, th- this could be done way different." You know, what right. about this? I love so that. We're, we're working on some. Yeah, we're working on some super exciting machines right now. That's amazing, man, and I love that tattooers and tattoo companies that are that are putting putting these products out like yourself are reaching out to these outside industries and you're utilizing the technology that's out there it's just like utilizing the you know the the uh, wacom tablets these digital drawing tablets been used in graphic design for years and years but are just sneaking into tattooing and they're they're making the design process more efficient for guys that it's it's cutting out steps that you don't need to go through anymore 
Um, it allows you to do a lot of cool stuff. And I see that with Bishop and, and what you're doing, and that's amazing, man. I, I love seeing that stuff. So, plus you're keeping you're – keeping, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I just – I like the, the weight of the machine as well. You know, it's 3.8 ounces. It's small. It's compact. You know, a lot of guys these days, the issue with guys as they get – you know, into into longevity of this career is the issues with your hands and your back, and those things are being alleviated oh. by some of the, you know, by some of these companies like Bishop. Well, that's that's one of the main things. It's a topic to talk about. Me and Creeper were just talking about how a lot of machine builders are making what you call them, Creeper? What you call them earlier? Uh, boat weights? Yeah. <laughs> so he was calling them boat 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 anchors, boat anchors. So you know, there's these machines out there that are just so freaking heavy. But people don't, I mean, old, older older tattoo artists understand, but a lot of these younger guys don't know that your wrist is going to give you problems 10, mm -hmm. 15, 20 years down the line. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to not have any wrist problems because I've been using rotaries for a good 15 years now. Mm -hmm. but, um, but, but ultimately, the bishop, when we first made the bishop, um, uh, the, whole, the whole beauty of that frame was pushing the back weight forward with uh, the way that um, my the neck of the machine swoops forward, and that was designed on purpose to make it to make it feel more ergo in your hands, um, just so you can tattoo longer. You can tattoo you know a lot of hours without cramping up, mm -hmm. you know. So, it, it, but the, the cool thing is, like you said, finally, you know, like one of my engineers is a bona fide aerospace engineer, and one of the projects he worked on was saving off 14 pounds off of an airplane and no one can figure it out and he did it but um that's the exciting thing is 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 you know a lot of machine builders a lot of rotary machine builders they they like to take credit as if they were uh some aerospace engineers themselves but i'll be the first to admit you know i come up with things in my head as far as what i'm thinking but it really takes an engineer to, to be able to to name the parts, you know, um, and, and to be able to take that idea that we have and make it actually work. Sure. You know, it, you know, back in, back in, uh, you know, the Prowl Rogers days, it was, it was wood shop engineering and that's what they had. They didn't have the resources to reach out to somebody like that, unless you knew somebody in your town who was, you know, an engineer, but it was again, trial by fire and, and trial by error. And so, you know, it's cool. It's cool to see that there's resources out there. And, um, man, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Franco. I know you guys just rolling into town. Let people know where they can find out about uh, Bishop and, and where they can find out more about you. Um, I know this is going to be one of many talks that we have. So, no, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, Bishop is, is uh, bishoprotary.com, bishoprotary.com, and um, also for Creeper's project, it's creepertattoomachines.com. Um, we're going to put a lot of the history of, uh, of what he does on that website for people that want to know more about coil machines. Um, but, yeah, maybe there's so much to talk about when it comes to machines. I'd love to, I'd love to do another talk with you uh, just on that topic alone. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's so and, much... And there's, there's there's just so much to talk about when it comes to machines um maybe maybe I, maybe we can end uh, this this cover conversation by 
you know, urging and and and, and asking uh, tattoo artists to not Photoshop their tattoos when they post them online. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that might and that might and that might be a whole other topic too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well, Franco, man, it's been such a pleasure. And I know, again, like I said, this is going to be one of many talks that we have. And, um, Definitely. you know, I, I, I appreciate you coming on and taking the time. And uh, Creeper, I appreciate you, man, and, and uh, taking the time while uh, with us as well. Um, I would encourage everybody to go and check out Franco's uh, work. You can find him online, also on Instagram at Franco Vescovi, um, bishoprotaries.com. And thank you so much, Franco. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you very much. I definitely appreciate the call, and I uh, look forward to talking to you more. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you again for everything. Appreciate it. I want to thank everybody for listening to and supporting the show. Please check out Selling Clothing every Tuesday for $10 specials. You can find them at SullenClothing.com or on Instagram at SullenClothing. You can find me on Instagram at OG Joe Swanson or on my website, TheRealJoeSwanson.com. If you'd like to set up a tattoo appointment with me, you can either text or email me. Text me at 707-704-6909 or you can email me at OGJoeSwanson at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out new episodes every Wednesday.